You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com slash resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Uh, this is CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. And today we have Sharla Prilliman, who is Regional Vice President of Healthicity's Audit Services. We're really grateful that she's taken some time to, to join us today. Welcome, Sharla. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, and as usual, we'd like to have our guests just introduce themselves a little bit, maybe uh, give us a little information on your background, what kind of things you've done in, in healthcare uh, and in auditing. Sure. Well, I started years and years and oh, so many years ago, uh, basically doing data entry for billing service uh, for radiology practice. And through the years, being uh, somewhat in the right time at the right place, but also rather unafraid to take on a new challenge, I moved through all facets of billing services, including serving as a compliance officer for a moderate-sized service. I worked in a small consulting firm for a couple years, moved on to PricewaterhouseCoopers for a short while, and decided to um, move into the non-traveling mode and worked almost seven years for a large healthcare system here in North Carolina, where I was a director for physician compliance. So I'm my duties there mostly were really overseeing an audit staff we had uh, in the neighborhood. It varied, of course, over the time, uh, 10 to 12, maybe even as many as 15 auditors, and another group of coding experts who assisted our practices and physicians, roughly 2,000 physicians in that organization. Wow. I, 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 yeah, I left, retired from there in uh, 2010 and joined... Audit services in January of, of 2011 and have been uh, part of our audit services pretty much from the beginning. That's great. And we're, we're grateful to have you on the team and your expertise and obviously vast amount of experience. Um, as you mentioned, radiology is your start. I was thinking back when I first started in coding and compliance, one of my first assignments with Intermountain Healthcare was to work with their radiology uh, service line. So I have a fond, I have fond memories of some of my first <laughs> detailed knowledge um, that I tried to gain in coding and compliance with some radiology, interventional radiology. Actually, did you do much in interventional, or was it a general radiology? Oh, back in the day, this is back in the day. There wasn't such a thing as interventional radiology. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we, we, <laughs> I, I am not a young spring chicken. So we were doing um, uh, diagnostic stuff. We didn't even use ICD codes to submit our claims. We used regular English words wow. to uh, describe our claims. Yep. Now, that's really interesting. You've got a great perspective to see how this has all evolved. Maybe before we get to some of the questions, what is your overall perspective on how this has evolved over the years? Has it gotten better, worse, the same? Oh, it's been a fascinating, exciting ride. Um, <laughs> there are aspects that that maybe are a little more difficult, some that are 
are uh, better. It just really depends which glass you're looking through, I suppose. Yes. Well, thank you again. So we, when when Charlotte agreed to to speak with us, um, I wanted to maybe pick her brain a little bit on the relationships between auditing departments, compliance departments. You know, in some organizations, um, you might have compliance auditors, and a lot of organizations I've worked with, there's been separate departments that do that kind of thing, uh, and they work with compliance departments. So I, I thought we'd. Um, tried to mine the knowledge of Sharla. And Sharla, the first question I wanted to ask you is, what do you think some of the biggest hurdles uh, are that need to be overcome between compliance and auditing departments or sections if they are separated? Well, when, there's, it, when those two functions are separated, I think the biggest hurdle is communication. Uh, very often I've seen kind of the worker bee, the, the, where the feet, feet on the ground, soldiers don't necessarily aren't tuned into the vision of the overall compliance program. And without that communication, bringing, bringing both parties to the same vision, there's lots of stumbling blocks in, in just execution and, and delivery of information. Yeah. I, you know, I, think that's true as well that I've observed from my experience in healthcare that communication is a big, big piece of it. Do you think, in your experience, are a lot of these departments separated or have you found it kind of half and half where a lot of them work um, within the compliance department or what's your experience been? Most of the, of the larger organizations that have a, an identified auditing team in-house uh, either roll up through compliance or through the revenue cycle, which, of course, creates a whole different uh, set of hurdles. Um, I'd say it's probably mostly in, comp- in the compliance department. If you have small organizations, sometimes it's one hat doing all the jobs. That's right. One head wearing all the hats, I should say. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, there could be some issues if, if the auditing team is housed kind of in the revenue cycle or in the financial arm of the organization, what are some of the things that you've seen there that might be of concern? Well, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a perception, a conflict in perception, more, even more than a, than a, a conflict in reality where uh, the leadership of a revenue cycle department's focus is, of course, on obtaining adequate reimbursement for their services and viability of their organization. And sometimes a compliance auditor um, will discover areas where there's some gaps and potentially some money has to be paid back or potentially a, a process or a coding process needs to be changed that will have at least a short-term effect on the revenue stream. And, and sometimes people, people feel a little conflicted when I tell the revenue VP we're going to lose X dollars for the next short term. Yeah, that's a hard message to, to send sometimes when you're talking about communication. How would you communicate that? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, um, straightforwardly. You have, yes. You know, um, <laughs> you have to call it what it is. That doesn't mean that, that um, it's in my experience, most, most of the time where we find a gap between documentation and reimbursement, the gap is not so much the 
between the actual work and the codes that are submitted on a claim, but rather between the work and the do- and the uh, documentation. Yep. So usually, when you can you can kind of guide somebody without nobody wants to, nobody who hires a consultant to help them do the right thing wants to do the wrong thing. Right. Uh, so you have to kind of just just make sure that that your customer. Or, or your department head, if you're working internally, of course, uh, has a good understanding that you're all on the same team looking towards correctness and uh, avoid some of those uh, hostile kinds of, of words that set the stage for misunderstanding. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I recall actually just working with a client recently where um, they we had to give them some bad news where... Uh, we had to say, look, the, the supervision requirements were not met. I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. Um, but no one had any malintent, right? It wasn't that somebody was trying to cheat or anything like that. But unfortunately, it was apparent that the supervision requirements were not met. And so it meant a great deal of money because it happened for many, many years. And um, right. it was really hard to swallow that. But I think you're right. Just straightforward. You just say what it is. The other thing that I've found, I don't know if, if you agree with this or not, is I, I just try to avoid the blame game. So if if I'm trying to speak very matter of factly, like a reporter might, where I say, look, this is we did this investigation or we found this audit. It led to trying to find the root cause. The root cause was, was this and, and kind of avoid the judgmental type of things. Unfortunately, you know, the leadership, their first thing is, well, how did this happen? Is, is sometimes the first response. And, and you know, you can, you can go down that road without, you know, naming names. And sometimes you do have to name names. But, um, but you can do it in a way that's much more uh, methodical and reporter-like or investigator-like as opposed to, um, you know, quickly pointing the finger or, or laying blame. I agree, and and I always like to approach those situations with at least one potential solution for the go-forward basis. Um, if, if there's light at the end of the tunnel, even bad news can sometimes go a little easier. Yeah, you know, that's a great, that's a great point, is that don't just bring the bad news, but say, look, these are the four options. Uh, you can do nothing, you know, and you're and at least you're you're saying, look, that's probably not a good choice, but that is a choice, uh, and you're leaving it right. up to the the leadership to make those decisions, and you're kind of um, giving them all the possible solutions. That's a really good point. Um, let me ask you this: how, how do you think that compliance and auditing departments could leverage one another's expertise, um, so that you know, let's assume the communication is good or you at least get it to the point where it's good, how could you then build on that and leverage the expertise that each of those departments might have? Well, I I think that um, many of us, those of us who are uh, older, who worked in healthcare before there was such a thing as a formal compliance plan and have kind of grown up and and watched how this this, – this way of structuring our, our compliance departments has grown, I think we naturally see that, that synergy. Um, you know, I consider audit services, whether you're talking about professional fee audits or uh, DRG audits or what, what, even, even uh, HIPAA compliance audits, wherever you are, an audit is simply a measurement. Right. 
And, and I, you know, that's one of the things I use sometimes with clients who, who quote, who fear, quote, the government audit. Uh, but an audit isn't an accusation. An audit is a measurement. Right. And what business other than healthcare would have ever gone forward without measuring their successes and, and their failures? If there are gaps, we need to know what's caused my widget to explode. Right. So that I can make widgets that won't explode and my customers will be delighted to buy them. I, I consider the whole thing as a quality measure yeah. with the auditor providing, you know, the, um, the micro measurements that compliance leaders can implement and you move from not only claim submission, which is, is the, the largest chunk, if you will, of, of an auditor's day is in claim submission reviews into some of the more global processes that are so critical to successful operations. Yeah. You know, when you were talking, it made me think about um, compliance, billing compliance committees that I've been a part of in the past. So in large organizations, typically, we might have an executive compliance committee, and then there may be like a, a subcommittee of that group that focuses just on billing compliance. Um Part of the reason we did that is, and, and as we all know, billing compliance is probably one of the larger buckets in a compliance program in healthcare, at least. And one of the things that we found really effective, and I'd be interested in your thoughts and if, observations if you've seen this, um, in our billing compliance committee, it wasn't, there's was really only one compliance representative and the rest, it was operations. So we had somebody from revenue cycle. Uh, we had somebody from our uh, business office and, and patient account services. Um, we had a re, um, the, the CFO actually attended. Um, but we had around the table a group of people that, as you mentioned, you know, we're all on the same team. I think you had mentioned that earlier. Um, and I found that to be really effective because then it was the committee working together to find missing revenue as well as to correct errors that might exist. And it was much more collegial and, and less accusatory. And, um, and that was one way that we tried to leverage the expertise of others. Um, have you seen that I, in, in committees? I have. I've seen it in, in a variety of, of committee and executive structures that, that include uh, operational folks. I, I ha- you know, one of the tenets, I guess, of, of doing things right is we can think up all the correct rules and and kind of in an ivory tower, decide how one should go forward. But if it isn't practical, usable, and to a degree user-friendly in the clinic where the patient receives their patient care, without patient care, we don't need any of this. That's so right. Always, you know, kind of circle, circle back to where we are. We can't impose unrealistic procedural steps that, that get in the way of patient care. Anything that we propose to, to make better is going to take input from, from operations, from clinical operations, as well as the, uh, you know, the suits, as they say. Yeah. You know, that is such a great point there. And I've, I've said that so many times before when I've had compliance um, employees that have worked for me, that maybe get a little overzealous in their compliance fervor. 
um, is what you just said. Look, without patient care and without revenue, none of us are here. So you take a step back and you say, look, what's the mission of the organization? One of the best organizations I worked for had a wonderful mission statement. And our compliance office purposefully developed their own mission statement that tied right into that. Because it really drove home that point that you just made is that without those patients, without the doctors, without uh, this this environment, there would be no need for a compliance department. In other words, the compliance department is there to contribute to that overall organizational mission. Um, and I found that the most enjoyable compliance uh, department to work in. Well, I, I worked in a, in a department that, that similarly developed their departmental uh, mission to to just dovetail right into the clinical mission of the organization. Yeah. And I think that's really a, a recipe for success. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you maybe some practical questions, um, and I'm going to ask you one and then kind of reverse that question as the second question. How do you think a compliance uh, professional or compliance department personnel could make the auditor's job easier? Well... It, I, I wish we were face to face so that everybody listening just could see my face. Uh, I'm not a poker player. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think one of the biggest uh, areas where things go amiss is people who audit typically, and, and you know, I, I I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush, are very detail oriented, who prefer their world to be ordered like yes and no answers, find maybe and sometimes to be uh, out of a comfortable place. And when, when people of that personality need to communicate and, and collaborate with someone who is less detailed, more broad picture, more 50,000-foot view, I think that the breakdown can be where auditors seem to be very rigid and unyielding and and um, the people with whom that specific individual is, is having an interaction uh, might be seen as not not understanding the details of what I'm trying to tell you yeah, uh, because they're looking too broadly. And, you know, we need both. We've got, you know, an auditor has to be detailed to do their job. Right. But they also have to understand where that detail fits in the bigger picture to, to really be effective and helpful. And I think the, the, the broader viewing leadership Again, typical personality, sure. broad brush, sure. um, understanding that your best auditors might be your most difficult communicators, uh, just that understanding of, of how you're working there, I think, opens the door for, for a, better, um, a better communication, a better sharing of information, and, and a better program. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about the detailed oriented nature of auditors, it made me think of a, a phrase, uh, a quote that I'll kind of paraphrase that a leader said that you rarely have success when you deal in generalities, but if you can deal in specifics, you'll rarely have a failure. And as you were talking about 
kind of the nature of maybe an auditor versus the nature of somebody that is interested in kind of at a higher level. I think recognizing that detailed nature, as you pointed out, is a really good uh, reminder that, um, that that's how a lot of auditors are and that can really help. So if that's true, then what could an auditor do to make a compliance officer's job a little easier? Uh, that's a, a little easier to answer for me. Um, I think that, that every auditor needs to make it their business to make their program succeed. If, if that's their focus, the steps they take are going to provide information. They're going to be naturally a little more open than their detailed nature might suggest. They will... Uh, be the eyes and ears as they go around doing their job. They may trip over other items that may need attention. Uh, People will trust them, people in the trenches. uh, Sometimes I have found are more willing to say to the audit team, gosh, I'm not sure this is just right, than they are to make a formal complaint to for example, the compliance officer that kind of has that connotation of yeah. of um, policing. Right. So I, I think it's I think in those ways of of kind of being um, open and aware and uh, approachable will will inherently make them a better support for their team. Yeah, you know, if I could maybe throw out an idea too, because is I was thinking, you know, I started my career more in the auditing and coding side of things, trying to educate physicians and auditing physicians. Um, and then late more, more recently I've been more on the compliance officer, um, kind of track. And I think about those two roles and I just think the auditors know so much about what's actually happening with, you know, in my experience, some auditors may be assigned to a certain department or a certain, um, type of service and they become really acquainted with those physicians and they have, they can often have a really good insight when something might be wrong. And one of my bosses in the past used to tell me, look, if they're doing poorly in billing compliance, they might be doing poorly in their research compliance or in other areas of compliance that a compliance program oversees. And um, we were always telling our auditors, look, um, be a part, like you mentioned, be a part of the overall compliance program, do your job. Yes. But also keep your eyes open. There may be other issues that you might not be the auditor for, but because you have such good relationships and you're often kind of on the front line with those physicians in those departments, you often have the best view into, you know, some of the things that are going on. Do you see, do you think that's true? Exactly. I think that's very well said. Um, I used a slide presentation once with an audit team and, and had a graphic and said that eavesdropping is allowed. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Pay you know, attention to your, your, um, your surroundings. The people who are doing the work may just very casually let you know uh, that things are in order and don't need further attention, or perhaps, perhaps they do. Yeah. Now, and I and I have found that a lot of the auditors do have kind of better relationships than, let's say, uh, some of the compliance personnel. Because a lot of times the compliance department and those, you know, compliance folks might not get involved 
or be introduced into a department or with a physician until something untoward has has arisen. Whereas a lot of the auditors, it's a routine part of their work. They, you know, if, let's say they're going to audit somebody every quarter. They're probably going to, they or an educator is probably going to meet with that physician on the results of those audits every quarter. And so they develop a relationship. And what I've seen is that sometimes the auditors can be a really um, valuable part of kind of bridging the relationship is if, if compliance has to come in and, and um, you know, take some sort of action and they normally don't interact with that physician. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, let me uh, give you a moment and, and see if there's uh, any other kind of thoughts or concepts that you've thought about since we've been talking that, that you'd like to bring up. I know I've been asking all the questions, but what, uh, what other things come to your mind on this topic? Well, it's, it's kind of one of, one of my, my pet peeves, is, uh, and I, I'd like to share it with you, is so many times we see auditors who are interacting with physicians who, who tend to, to um, accuse in their language. And if there are auditors listening to, to us talk here today, if there's anything that I can share that has been helpful in my auditing life and many people who say have told me it's helped them, is take the word you out of your vocabulary. Yes. If, when you're describing an error or um, a flaw in the medical record, if you say the medical record is not showing me X, the, the message is so different than telling that physician you failed to write down X. Yes. That's so such... just that little preposition you, kill it. It's not valuable. That's so true. Um, and I, you know, I think I learned that the hard way when I first started working. You've obviously uh, know it to be true. That is great advice is that, look, this is not a because docs, you know, they're busy and they typically, in my, in my experience, they want to do the right thing, but they're, that's not their life to, to document things in a way that, you know, a reimbursement um, payer is going to, is going to look at it. So that's a really great, I think that's great advice is to take you out of it um, and say the documentation lacks this. Cause maybe, you know, as we know, some documentation is allowed to be put in by ancillary staff, right? And so maybe it wasn't the doctor who who failed. Um, maybe it didn't. It somehow it didn't get in the medical record. Right. Well, this is this has been wonderful. Any last any other last minute thoughts before we uh, kind of close up for today? No, I thank you for the opportunity to to share the wor- with the world my um, driving force in my auditing life. Well, Charlotte, fun. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for your your expertise and your your passion and your experience. I'd love to talk some more with you as I'm sure some of our listeners would love to. So um, uh, thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And uh, to all of our listeners, thanks for listening to another episode and please join us again for our next episode of compliance conversations. Goodbye.